Welcome to the Dead Lady Show podcast. I'm Susan Stone. The Dead Lady Show celebrates women who achieved impressive things against all odds while they were alive. The show is recorded in front of a delightful audience in Berlin, and here on the podcast, we bring you a special sampling from these events. Dead Lady Show co-founder Florian Dauschens is here with me today. Hey there. Hi. And we have our other co-founder back on stage at our lovely venue Akud in this episode, translator extraordinaire, the extremely well-shod Katie Derbyshire. Florian, please tell everyone who Katie will be talking about. Katie will be talking about Anne Lister, a person she's excellently placed to talk about as she has just finished translating one of the first uh, full-length biographies of Anne Lister. Now, Anne Lister, as you'll hear very soon, excelled at very many things traditionally thought to be within the purview of men rather than women in Regency-era England, um, such as business, mountain climbing, seducing scores of women, Anne Lister did it all. Um, She left behind copious coded diaries um, that provide an unparalleled glimpse into her life and her sexual habits. Indeed. Uh, now here's Katie to tell us more. Yes. Here we go. I'm going to talk about Anne Lister, who lived from 1791 to 1840. So in, in 1840 is significant because photography was invented in 1839. <laughs> so we don't have any photos of Anne. But we do have this one portrait by Joshua Horner, who never actually met Anne. Uh, <laughs> It was painted after her death, and she doesn't she look pretty with that kind of eyeshadow going on? She didn't really look like that. But <clears throat> as you can see in the portrait, she's wearing all black. So we can tell it's after 1817, which is when she decided to only ever wear black, the original um, emo, I suppose. Uh, she was very, very unconventional. It was a very unconventional choice. The only people who wore black were men who were going traveling on horseback at that time. Uh, it, she was also probably thinner than this photo. She looks rather kind of firmly shaped here. She was much thinner than that. And those curls on the side of her head, they were fake. They were just pinned on. So she considered herself gentlemanlike and said that she knew how to please girls. The, <laughs> the locals often called her Gentleman Jack, and there was not much she could do about that. So we know a lot about this woman, because of her diaries. She wrote 24 volumes of journals in tiny handwriting, as you can see here, a part of it in in secret code, which she invented herself. So there's an estimated four million words, which will probably take nine years to transcribe. So we don't have all of her diaries in their entirety in print. Um, She wrote in detail about everything, what she ate, her digestion, (laughs) the weather, her money issues, her political views, and quite explicitly about her love life and her sex life. She was also a great letter writer, so we have those too. And in 1984, the historian Helena Whitbread began transcribing these journals. People had already known, worked out the code, but other researchers were a little bit, uh, a little bit squeamish, let's say, about publishing anything she wrote. Uh, Whitbread went on to publish two books of journal extracts taken from 1816 to 1826. And here she is in a video with Sue Perkins from the Great British Bake Off. This is going to be a very, very British 
the whole talk, very British. I started decoding it, symbol for letter, symbol for letter, and gradually I came to get to know the code very well. I think the first little sentence I came across that indicated her sexuality was different to the norm was, um, I think I will go to Russia and find myself a wife. And immediately it, it all fell into place. After seven years of dedicated work, Helena finally published her book in 1988, and Anne Lister's unconventional life was revealed to the world. I have to say that the reception was good. And there were just one or two pockets of, how could you do this, you know? Um, Let sleeping um, lesbians lie. Uh, well, yes, and also, um, how, how, how dare you go uh, into such personal detail about uh, an individual? Well, what you right? didn't. No. She did. It's her journal. Yes, exactly. And I have to say, I think she left it for history. And somebody called it the Rosetta Stone of lesbian history. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm not going to read any of the explicit bits, but I. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you where to find them. Um, I'm going to show you a little bit more detail. Both of the clips are taken from the BBC documentary Revealing Anne Lister. So we can see here the script degenerates into a series of letters and symbols. The bits are in code, I'm assuming, are the bits that are mo the most pertain to her private life. Yes. And then surely that's got to wipe your, wipe your appetite. You'll think, now this is going to be filthy. Yes. She's put, she's taken no, the time. I didn't think it was going to be filthy. You did. You <laughs> oh, good, there's a juice of it coming out. No, yeah, I yeah, I went to the doctors. Yes, I bought some mutton. I had a veal chop. Yeah. Oh, hang on, here we go. And then you, you're into the code. I am. Uh, what I saw was I was into the romance, not the film. <laughs> Kiss is sex, orgasm. Right. Okay. So if, you, if, she, if Anne Lester asked you for a peck on the cheek, you'd be in trouble. That's a different sort of kiss. And there's cross here. What's the, the, the cross? Oh, the tiny cross yeah. there. That indicates auto-erotic practices. Right. Okay. Now, there's, that's a very academic way of putting it. I, I have you. great respect for the <laughs> demure way in which you've handled right. that. Yeah. That is the... Yes. She's the, made do. She, yes, yes. On those long Halifax winter nights. Yes. So let's come to a key person in Anne's life, her aunt, Anne Lister. Now, this is going to be very confusing. They didn't have very many names in England at the time. Many of the key characters are called Anne. <laughs> I apologise in advance. Here's an oil painting of Anne Lister Sr. by Thomas Binns. Now, Anne lived with her aunt Anne and the unmarried brother, Uncle James, for a while as a child. She didn't really get on with her own family and again as an adult. Later, the two Anne's travelled together and they lived together in Paris for a long period. Aunt Anne was a supportive confidant who approved of Anne's love for women. And the picture shows us that the Listers were the kind of family that could afford to have an oil painting done. And here's where they lived, Shipton Hall, near Halifax in Yorkshire. I, I suspect it wasn't always that sunny. So around 1813, Anne persuaded Uncle James to leave uh, his estate and the house to her in his will. This was very, very unusual at the time. Upper-class women in, in those days either married or depended on relatives for the rest of their lives. So owning land for Anne meant that she had an income from rent, uh, from farming and from mining, that kind of thing. And it meant independence. 
The house is actually fairly modest. It looks kind of rustic, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put up with such a small place. But anyway, so Anne was very proud of her family heritage and status, but money was always tight, and she really wanted somebody to share the financial burden, let's say. It's open to the public. You can go there. You can see the two paintings in this <laughs> rather lot of dark wood. Um, this is the main body of the house. You can see Anne's painting and her Uncle James. They're both done by the same guy. I think I've teased you enough. I'm going to come to the love life. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of Anne's main flings and romances. Now, I don't have pictures of any of these women, but you just have to imagine them. She, was, she liked them kind of petite and, and sweet. Her first love was Eliza Rain, who was the illegitimate daughter of an English doctor and an Indian woman. The two girls met at boarding school, shared a room, and uh, later a number of secrets. Sadly, though, Eliza ended up in a mental asylum. Um, Isabella Norcliffe was the next one along. She was a hunting, shooting, fishing kind of girl from New York. Uh, not New York, York. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> They had a sort of an on-off thing for years, although Anne rather disapproved of her drinking. She claimed she only had five glasses of wine a day, but Anne wasn't sure. Uh, Isabella made the mistake of introducing Anne to Mariana Belcom, who was another doctor's daughter with many sisters. Uh-huh, yeah, well, that's convenient. Uh, and uh, her brother, she had one brother who, who ended up running the asylum where Eliza was locked away. Mariana married Charles Lawton, but continued to sleep with Anne, although she did grow increasingly uncomfortable with Anne's strange ways. In fact, Anne, what didn't seem strange to anyone, but Anne went on honeymoon with the couple. Um, <laughs> and when they moved in together, she stayed with them for several months. At the time, she was also seducing Mariana's sister, Nance Balcom, despite her bad breath. <laughs> Sadly, Charles was a bit of a philanderer and he con contracted an STD, which he passed on to Mariana and Mariana duly passed on to Anne. And it was really, nobody could identify it, it hadn't been identified by medicine at that point. Uh, it was never really cured. Horrible things they did to her. But anyway, in, then uh, Anne moved to Paris where she was together with a woman called Maria Barlow who uh, was a widow with a daughter. They moved in together, but it, it only lasted a couple of weeks once she'd got her way. She ditched her for uh, a long-term correspondent who, uh, called Sibylla McLean, who was a f from the Scottish nobility. She was uh, kind of of ill health, and basically while she was waiting for Anne to move to Paris with her, Anne spent the winter up in Yorkshire with Mariana, so Sibylla left her. Next up was this woman called Via Hobart, who was a rich heiress. Uh, the two of them moved in together in a, in a rented a house together on the south coast of England, but she went and married a man. And last but not at all least was Anne Walker, who was a wealthy neighbor, but she didn't come from a, a, a long-standing aristocratic background, so it took Anne a while to notice her, let's say. Um, and Anne Walker became Anne Lister's wife, if you like, in 1834. She needed some persuading, which is 
detailed in graphic detail in the journal, but eventually moved into Shipton Hall. And Anne, being a romantic type, named one of her coal mines after her. They made each other beneficiaries of their wills. Uh, they shared a pew at church. They showed themselves as a couple and traveled a lot together. Basically, Anne Walker financed Anne Lister's business ventures. Now, Anne, as you can tell, was never really quite satisfied. She liked to play the field. Um, now, here's Langton Hall, a little bit posher. I think this is the right one. There are a number of Langton Halls in England. I think this is the right one. It was the country pile of the Norcliffe family. And Anne was there for several months in the winter of 1820. Obviously, Isabella Norcliffe was there too, as was her friend Mary Valance, Nance Belcombe of the Honeymoon Seduction, um, and Nance's and Mariana's sister, Mrs. Harriet Milne, were also there. So imagine the scene. We have five young ladies on a long winter night in cold Yorkshire, and this is what Anne wrote in her journal. In the evening, Mrs. Milne played, hung over her at the instrument, afterwards sat next to her and paid her marked attention. At bedtime, Anne stayed another near half hour in Mrs. Milne's room. Next that night, Anne spent near an hour with Nance Belcombe. She told me of my attention to Mrs. Milne and that I had taken no notice of her or Miss Valance and that she was sure Miss Valance had observed it and felt as she did said I could not help it. Mrs. Milne was fascinating. While she was at it, Anne knocked on the next door. Then went half an hour to Miss Valance. Got out of her that she had observed me to Mrs. Milne and was a little jealous. Nance then came to my room, having expected me again in hers, and stayed almost till I got into bed. Her love for me gets quite as evident as I could wish. So despite all this flurried activity, and didn't meant to manage to get one of her famous kisses that evening. So eventually she compromised, as I said, and settled down with Anne Walker. They travelled a lot together, and on their second trip to France, Anne bought the right to say that she was the first person to climb this mountain here, Mount Vignemal, in the Pyrenees. Now, she wasn't actually the first person. The first person was a, a local man. Uh, but she paid him to take her up the second time, so she was the first official climber. But a Russian prince said that it was him. He went up a couple of days later. It was a bit of a race to the top. Uh, and, of course, the press believed him. Still, they did name this little bit of the mountain after her. It's called Lady Lister Col. A col apparently is the lowest point on a mountain ridge between two peaks. So... She wasn't, in, you know, in the strict sense of the term, she wasn't a, a lady lister, she was just Anne Lister. Obviously, she was a, a dead lady. So. Um, so by 1839, rather <laughs> bored and doing badly in business and arguing, Anne and Anne went on a long trip. Anne Lister told Anne Walker that they were only going to Russia. I mean, she already had a wife, but... Uh, they were only going to Russia, but they ended up as far as Baku. Now, this is the Google Maps route suggestion, how to get from Halifax in Yorkshire to Baku in Azerbaijan. They didn't go by car, clearly. <laughs> they didn't even have railways in, in Russia at the time. But you can see it's over 3,000 miles. They went, um, they traveled by horse-driven coach 
all the way across Scandinavia to St. Petersburg and Moscow up here on the right. This is not their exact route. While in Moscow, look at this beautiful uh, lady here. This is uh, uh, Princess Sofia Alexandrovna Radzivil. Um, Anne Lister had a big crush on her, and she's one of the few women who we have pictures of. She was richer significantly than Anne. I, I think she would make a wonderful jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> no, with, no, look, all the... All the lace and the ribbons and the hair curls would be really good for a jigsaw. So they continued by in a vehicle called a, a kibitka, which was a sort of a sledge with a cover over it, along the frozen Volga River to the Caucasus, as far as Tbilisi and then on to Baku. Their coach, Anne and Anne's coach, so the servants were in one of these adventurous vehicles here, their coach uh, had glass windows, but Anne broke two of them accidentally, which was unfortunate because the temperatures went down to minus 37 degrees centigrade. <laughs> it was a, a tough trip. Um, there was no such thing as hotels, obviously. They needed a military escort as conflict was raging. They slept on commandeered floors, but they also attended royal balls. Basically, they were sightseeing. They saw a lot of nature and... Uh, strange to them places. They were the first women tourists in this region. In Baku, they visited actually the second of the harems that they went to, um, this one belonging to the Persian Julia, jeweler, Haji Baba. This is what Anne wrote about it. You can see she overcame her qualms about the first one, where she felt the women were imprisoned to rather enjoy this one. We're so much amused among the women that we sat there till after eight, about an hour, I should think. We found the floor covered with handsome carpeting and three chairs placed at the head of the room for us, and women standing all round the room, perhaps about 20, enough to quite fill the room. Hadji's son, a youth with sprouting beard, and a woman servant handed tea and sweetmeats and pistachios. Two or three of the women were handsome, the rest not at all. Wide silk trousers, hardly distinguishable from petticoats, generally red or crimson, and belaced or bejeweled jackets and veils. Necklaces and bracelets and head ornaments and large Chinese-looking earrings and three-inch diameter round brooches stuck on the middle of the chest in front, full of rubies, emeralds, etc., mounted in enamel and gold. She did like details, I mentioned that, right? They danced at our request, the Georgian dance danced at Tiflis, but much better, much more naturally, especially one rather older girl, perhaps aged 20, who was quite taken with us. She hugged and embraced Madame Chekmarev for two or three minutes, and me for half as long at parting, and promised to come and see us in spite of their profit. How she managed the bonny wriggle and lifting petticoat, I know not, but it was well done, and the animated eye and strong cracking of thumbs bespoke the interest she evidently felt. All cracked or struck their hands together in cadence with the dance, and so did I, and to their apparently great delight, I made as much handy noise as any of them. On leaving, just went up to Haji and the commandant and one or two more men. They had had sweetmeats, but had probably been less amused than we. So we don't know quite what happened, because she stopped writing her journal, but Anne fell ill and died in Kutaisi, which was then capital of Georgia. 
on the 22nd of September 1840. Anne Walker somehow managed to get her body embalmed and took it all the way back across land to Yorkshire for burial. Now here's a real life picture, it doesn't look much like that portrait which was actually based on it. Unknown artist, you can see she did have a, a bit of a moustache going on and is indeed thinner. Anne Lister led an impressive life. She, was, she lived a kind of semi-open lesbian relationships. She rejected convention, she enjoyed sex and independence, she climbed mountains, travelled widely and left a very significant record of her life and times. But she wasn't entirely likeable. She was a terrible snob. Uh, she employed child labour in her mines and she forced her tenants to vote Tory. She wasn't allowed to vote herself. Um, on one occasion, she visited this place here, which was a, a treadmill in Cold Bath Fields Prison in London. Now, this was a complicated but pointless machine to keep prisoners occupied in a kind of a hamster wheel, uh, just to punish them. They'd spend hours on it. She wrote... I got upon it for two or three minutes and have nothing to say against it. Cannot imagine how it could do any harm. <laughs> she also, when she saw prisoners being deported uh, from Moscow to Siberia, they had to walk from Moscow to Siberia. She wrote, walk never more than 22 verses a day and rest every two days. The state, she said, paid for their food and clothing, and none are sent for forced labour but those condemned to great crimes, murder, and what's the other crime? Brigandage. The lesser delinquents merely sent to colonise the country, and some parts in the south have a better climate than Moscow. So Anne Lister is actually having a bit of a moment right now. On the left here you can see the, the uh, 2010 BBC TV movie The Secret Diary of Miss Anne Lister, starring Maxine Peake. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it unless you like historically inaccurate lesbian bodice rippers. <laughs> and even for that. Yeah, it, yeah. No. We enjoyed the subtitles. My favourite two subtitles were lustful groaning <laughs> and distant explosions. There were actual explosions. Um, but you can look forward to an eight-part TV series, also on the BBC, who clearly are really into Anne, uh, starring Suran Jones here on, on the right. It is the right, right? Uh, from who you may have seen in Dr. Foster. And it's uh, uh, written by Sally Wainwright, who you may have watched her program, her series, Happy Valley. Very, very good. So I know I'm looking forward to that. But if you read German, you don't have to wait because this lovely lady here on the right, Angela Steidler, has written actually the first full biography of Anne Lister in German, so, and I've translated it. Here it is. It's got this slightly obscene pink ribbon, which you can't see in the photo. Um, yes, and so it's being edited as we speak. So look out for it under the title Gentleman Jack from Profile Books. I don't know when it will be out, but <laughs> I'm sure I'll tell you all. And uh, you can find out it has the juicy bits in it. 
uh, and you can find out in much more detail all about Anne Lister. Thank you for listening. Katie Derbyshire on Anne Lister. And since that talk was recorded in June, there have been a few bits of news. As Katie said, uh, Anne is having a moment. So first of all, on July 28th, a round blue plaque, they're used all over the UK to indicate important historic places. Um, one was placed on the wall at Holy Trinity Church in Goodramgate, York, which is where Anne wed Anne in 1834. Uh, the church is, by the way, no longer operational, but can still be visited. The plaque is bright blue and has a rainbow border. Florian, would you please read for us what it says? Inside the beautiful rainbow circle, it says Anne Lister, 1791 to 1840, gender nonconforming entrepreneur, celebrated marital commitment without legal recognition to Anne Walker in this church, Easter, 1834. Thank you. It is a lovely thing, uh, but there has been a bit of controversy over the terminology. Now, Anne is often referred to as the first modern lesbian, and some are disappointed and angry that the word lesbian is not found on the plaque. So far, York Civic Society has responded, saying, We recognize that this has hurt people, and we apologize. We've heard the criticism, and we're open to the idea of updating the plaque in the near future. We want to listen to everyone's voice, both those who are unhappy with the plaque's wording and those who are happy with it. Uh, Florian, were you surprised by this? I was not surprised. I think we're living in a moment where a lot of terminology is under discussion and it's very important that we keep talking about these things and we make sure that we use words in which people can recognize themselves. Now, of course, in retrospect, it's very hard to to say what Anne Lister would have recognized herself um, as and whether what she would make of even a rainbow logo, uh, whether she would like it. I feel like, didn't she wear only black or she wore some, yes. So she might not, you know, she might not be into rainbows. What I think is the most important is that we honor the lives of these women and we keep talking about them. And I think even controversies like this, as long as they're held civilly and productively can only have a good effect on society because they increase visibility of people who don't fit the social norm. And yeah, I think that's great. And Anne didn't. And that's one of the reasons she's, <laughs> she's like a hero to many people. Um, and the church is where, as far as we know, where the first wedding of two women in the UK was held. So it's, it has become an important place uh, for lesbian women as well and other people who want to to celebrate that. Um, and I think, I guess what I understand they were kind of getting at with the terminology in a sense was, you know, Anne Lister did what she wanted. She didn't do what was expected of women at that time. She did things that, as we said, were traditionally thought of to be in the men's world. You know, she kicked ass. You know, she did all the things. She inherited property. Um, even though she couldn't vote, you know, the world may have been trying to hold her back, but she still weren't forward. So I guess in a sense they were trying to address this, but the way that they did has become problematic. But there is sort of a next chapter on this just in the last week, the latest from the York LGBT history. Uh, that's one of the three groups that worked with the York Civic Society to commemorate Anne Lester with this plaque. They say that they plan to unveil a new plaque in February for LGBT History Month, and we'll have to wait to see what it says. 
And there's one other piece of Anne news, which I have to share, that um, Katie, who referred in her talk to Gentleman Jack by Angela Steidle, uh, the first substantial biography of Anne Lister, which she recently translated from German to English. And we can now tell you the publication date for that book is very soon, November 1st. You know, time to stock up for Christmas even. You can pre-order now. Uh, the publisher Serpent Still has posted an early excerpt, so we'll definitely link to that in our show notes, which you can find at deadladyshow.com, where you can also see some of the few existing paintings of Anne. None especially <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Or, um, flattering. or flattering, <laughs> certainly, but they will give you a sense of her um, and what she was like. The site is also home to our Hall of Lid Dames, where you can see and read more about the ladies, the other ladies we featured in the past. So do check that out. Okay. Now, this episode marks the end of our first year and first season. Yay! No. Yay! Yay! No! Yay! <laughs> no! <laughs> um, it's been a great ride from Hypatia's murder, math, and mayhem to Ann Lister's list of ladies. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as, of course, on our website. If you subscribe, however, you'll always have a lady waiting for you. We are going to take a short break. I mean, it's really short. So there won't be a September episode, but we'll be back with the start of our new season in October. So next month, you'll get a promo from us with some information telling some of the exciting things ahead in season two. You can see two live shows, however, in September. If you are in New York on the 5th, check out our U.S. spinoff at the KGB Bar, its debut, and if you're in Berlin, find us at Akud on Tuesday, the 11th of September, Florian's birthday. <laughs> it's true! <laughs> true, which we'll be celebrating with uh, DJs playing music by only dead women, so we'll have a very special Aretha Franklin moment, I'm sure. Yes, dance, dance our way out of there. Okay. If you miss us, in the interim, which I hope that you do, let us know. We await your tweets, Facebook messages, Instagram comments. Find us at Dead Lady Show or email us, info at deadladyshow.com. We would also really appreciate it if you could leave us a review and share us with others so we can spread the lady love. Our jaunty theme song is Little Lily Swing by Tritachion, which you can find on SoundCloud, which also hosts all episodes of the Dead Lady Show podcast. We're, of course, on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Radio Public, Acast, Pocketcast, and Google Play Music. Thanks to Florian. Thank you, Susan. And to all of you for joining us, I'm Susan Stone. Oh, 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 o